Rolling. Welcome to a special edition of the Renegade Podcast. In partnership with Rescue RN, we give you Kickstart My Heart, a revolutionary approach to resuscitation and code blue to take nurses who don't just do what they're told from novice to ninja. In episode six, our special guest is Sybil Venus Meza, labor and delivery travel nurse and social media influencer. Labor and delivery codes are extremely scary. The stakes are high. There's no choice. We're like, we gotta bring this parent back. Nailed it. Renegades. Welcome everybody to the, what is this? The fifth installment of the kick my, kickstart my heart um, summit. Kick your, kick your what? Kick I, think start, it, huh? I think it's six. 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 Well, well, there's lucky number six. Lucky six. Um, we have Sybil. We've known Antra and I have known Sybil for I don't know, like two years or something like that, maybe longer. Sorry. She's coming in and out of our lives, but in the background, she's always been, uh, I would say, TikToker extraordinaire. That's how we. <laughs> that's how we found out about her. But I mean, extraordinary human even before that, and in spite of it, not because of it. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and a. Uh, travel nurse and that's what kind of inspired her because of all the the experience she had that she wanted to share with other nurses in her hilarious creative and unique way that she does and we thought that she would lend a very unique perspective to this whole thing not just from the traveling aspect but also from social media aspect and you are just in touch with so many different kinds of nurses too and you're eight like there's so many things that you lend and it's just so cool to get everybody's you know i mean you could take two nurses from the exact same floor and do this and you get a totally different thing so uh, we have you've you know the the chitter chatter before we started this uh, you kind of know what we're all about and so susan's going to give us a little bit of an outline of what we're going to talk about it's going to be free-flowing as usual we just sometimes just spend a lot of time on just one of the <laughs> one of the things but <laughs> it's been rich so i'm going to Hand it over to you, Susan. Why? Thank you so very much, Karen. So uh, here's the general outline, Sybil. And we've been asking the same general outline of everybody, but sometimes one of them, like Karen, so is something that we get hung, we spend more time on because it's a really cool point. So in general, we're talking today about all things code blue. How does that make us feel? How do we feel about how well prepared we are? At what point in our career did we actually get prepared for this? <laughs> and how much was that? And what does it mean to us now? Do you practice code blues in your practice? You're a travel nurse. Do you ever get mock codes in your life? So the outline is this. The first module is or discussion point is mindset. So we always want to discuss what is your mindset around Kodiak Kodiak? We're now talking about bears. We're dipping. <laughs> and how it makes you feel. You, you personally in your practice, your colleagues among, around you, how does it make you feel? I mean, we know, we know what happens, right? Like it's usually, oh crap, not me, please not today. You do a little Hail Mary as you pass the crash cart and then, you know, or you're the one who, you know, runs the other direction and, and, or you're the ones like, listen, I'll watch all the patients, you kids go and have fun. So what is your mindset? The second, the second question point is around deterioration. How are we watching for the signs and symptoms of deterioration? Are we catching them? Are we not catching them? 
In my course that I created, uh, Code Prep, we have a visual acuity scale where we do green, yellow, red, and we actually make it a conversation about an across-the-room assessment. So there's no charting involved. It's a 10-second or less across-the-room assessment based on, well, are they sick or not sick? And then we might get crazy about the topic of the word acuity. And what does it mean to you versus me versus the world anymore? Because I have this theory that we've got a little crazy with the word acuity. And let me go into the emergency equipment. How comfortable are you with the defibrillator? Have you had hands-on with the defibrillator? Most people, it scares the heck out of them. And then the definition of rescuer one, two, and three. Who has those roles and what are those roles? So if we get that far, I'll be and, amazed. And if any of that is familiar to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, depending. Um, right. So why don't you do this? So lead into the first one, Susan. I'm, I'm just going on what you usually do because I didn't do a proper introduction of you except for, you know, my little high level, uh, what I know of you. Why don't you start with your nursing career? You know, where, who are you? Where are you from? Why did you become a nurse? Where did you start in nursing? And kind of and like, what do you do now? And you can pepper it in. Pepper, like, what is your mindset? What is your experience with Code Blue peppered into that, you know, when you first became a nurse kind of thing and then how it looks now? Is that about right, Susan? Like, just give us, give us a 10,000 foot view of your experience with it and as you became a nurse. Hit it, Sybil. Oh, yeah, that was you. <laughs> I thought that was Susan. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Over to you. <laughs> no, did, did you need? Do you want me to say that again? Say that one more time. I thought okay. you were asking okay, no, Susan no, to introduce no, herself. I was like, oh, you are the so, special. You are the special uh, guest star. <laughs> you, you I'm tell sorry. us who you are and tell oh. us. Tell okay, me. I will. I, will. So, I can totally do that. <laughs> so I'm Sybil. You guys know me from working with you guys in Renegade. We did so much social media work together, and I had a really great time. I am a labor and delivery nurse. Uh, I also have experience as a med search nurse. And during the pandemic, I kind of stumbled up across a social media following completely by surprise and not intended in any way. I was never into any kind of social media, anything. In fact, I think I had about a thousand followers before I even started. And they were like my friends. <laughs> and now I try to do a lot of I'm just helping nurses feel like they are not alone in their experiences. So that's what my social media is mainly about, uh, is helping nurses feel seen, especially Latina nurses feel seen, uh, labor and delivery nurses feel seen. And I am continuing to do that and continuing working as a bedside nurse. I'm dabbling into other things, uh, other businesses right now, which are kind of a surprise. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the 10,000 foot view. So I, I love that. I, and, and Sybil, we're so excited to have you and for a million reasons, like Kieran said at the beginning, your, your experiences are vast. Uh, but I, I just want to, to, to start this discussion. In my experience uh, with labor and delivery nurses, they, they literally hate uh, your ACLS. I mean, BLS yes. is something we all have to have. But when they, as the director of the American Heart for like a decade uh, or a large healthcare system, I would always uh, introduce the course at the minute and say, okay, where do you work? Where do you work? And the L&D, the labor and delivery nurses are like, labor and delivery. I mean, they're like, oh my gosh, I hate ACLS more than anything. It's very, they're very, very, very scared. So I'm mm -hmm. going to, I'm really appreciate your perspective because again, especially in labor and delivery or anywhere, if we don't do those very first steps, those BLS 
steps. Those basic life support steps. Everyone's brain goes to advanced cardiac life support. And then that's an ultimate freeze right there. So let's start out on mindset as an, a labor and delivery nurse from either now or then or when, how do you feel about it? What do you think? What's your mindset? I am lucky and unlucky in some ways to have grown up as a baby nurse in a high risk labor and delivery unit. So I actually worked for like a top three hospital for five years. So I went from being a med search nurse on a liver floor that was actually like, they were very sick, sick liver patients. And I had been very used to calling codes. We even had palliative care housed on our unit because they were that sick. And then transitioning to labor and delivery uh, to very, uh, very high risk population. Uh, so codes for me, I think are different than for the average LND nurse only because I feel like I've seen more and with more frequency than maybe other people would have. I will say labor and delivery codes are extremely scary. And I know it's completely different. It's a completely different mindset and vibe going into it. Like you said, the mindset completely changes because you're taking a mostly healthy birthing parent and they're coding. So that means something terrible has happened along the way. So not only are you going into this code uh, kind of quickly and without much preparation, but you are trying to piece together the reasons why they might be coding in the first place, which is very scary and not like in med search where you kind of see a trend coming and you're like, hmm, I think maybe this patient's going to code. The uterus loses blood at over 500 cc's a minute postpartum. So that code can happen to anybody. And that's really scary. <laughs> so that's why I think labor and delivery approaches codes with such hesitance, because when it happens, it's bad. It's really bad. And it involves a routine parent or it involves a newborn. So I think that's why when people approach it from the labor and delivery standpoint, they're like deer in headlights. They're like, you know, it's almost like bad juju to even talk about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Sybil, I got to say, I honestly got goosebumps, you know, listening because here I am like envisioning myself beside you in your med surge unit with like, end stage liver, which, mm -hmm. you know, that patient right there, like you said, there's so many signs and symptoms. And when we talk about the signs and symptoms, which is kind of the next topic, but who cares? It's like, you know, the eight hours before the 12 hours before, the eight hours before, for sure the three hours before. I mean, and, and a liver patient's going to show signs and symptoms, but this mom-baby pair, and it's a duo, and we've got two lives here, that is mm -hmm. crazy scary. You get, you gave me goosebumps. Uh, really is an amazing perspective. And not only is it in the labor and delivery suites, you could also be in the OR. So that's also really scary. Because <laughs> the ORs are, are you know, you, you feel a little bit, unless you have a lot of experience in your particular OR, as a travel nurse, you kind of feel like a fish out of water wherever I am. So to have a code in the OR, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrible. So <laughs> yeah, if you have a code in the OR, I worked at a naval hospital where the OR nurses did all the C-sections. So mm -hmm. we would get the labor and delivery nurses to come in and help, but they were number one, terrified of the OR. They didn't know what they could touch, what they couldn't touch. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, getting them up on top of a pregnant mom who's bleeding out to do compressions was like kind of a, a no, like a hard stop. 
a lot of time. Yeah. Right. And so then the OR crew had to get in there and then you got all this stuff and, you know, an incision and like, so it was usually a cluster. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I, sir, I've, I've circulated in my career. So we don't have like an OR team. So it would be like me, the scrub tech, and usually like a helper nurse or like a second nurse in the room. But <laughs> scenarios in terms of how they put the team together, right? Sometimes it's yes. the, the labor and delivery nurse who becomes a circulator, even though she's not an OR nurse. So, yeah. right, like that, that becomes an issue right there. And then sometimes it's the OR team that takes over. So we had a, we had a patient who had, what is it, where they bled out the D, DC, I can't remember, DIS? DIC. It was horrible. So scary. So scary. So yeah. So, so on that, on the, on the back of that, whether you were in med surge and, or the, the dreaded double duo, right. An OBOR case, holy smokes. Right. Cause I have mm -hmm. consulted with pre-op and post-op and a little bit of um, trauma intra and, uh, but never OB and OR. I mean, my gosh, we, you guys have no idea how much now I'm focusing on this in my outside of this conversation because it's so needy. So the question is, have you ever had any practice time, any type of code practice in either environment? I, like I said, I'm lucky that I went to a top three, I worked at a top three hospital. So yes, I did get as a staff nurse, a lot of practice time. I will say that I have more experience just in with patients in general. Uh, the practice that we did get, I think was mostly for the technology. So to be able to use the technology, uh, which is never enough, right? There's always a need for being actual simulation situations. And we did get a little bit of that, but I'm sure that, that is an issue <laughs> in most places that people don't have this kind of training. Uh, but yeah, it, it's really just, I don't think personally that I knew what to do with codes or anything like that until they started training me for like the triage role the what they call the observation role or the charge nurse role that's when you really felt that you had to be ready for these codes because you were the resource and you and it was your responsibility to like almost learn you know as much as you could through your experience and through your your theory like you know your book you you have to pull out your book <laughs> from when you did your certification. So so that's a really good point, because if you go back, let's go back even further upstream in our nursing education. So mm -hmm. the amount of time we spent in cardiology in our nursing education is like a chapter. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it literally is like a chapter. And then you get well, you had to have basic life support to be in nursing school. And, mm -hmm. and then when we leave nursing school, they usually even want you to be a nurse for whatever, a, a year or some length of time, year to three years before you get advanced cardiac life support, which I call on as well, because how, how silly is that? My first patient on my very first day as a new nurse was a cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. So, but still, you know, again, I think one of the big barriers from what we learn in the classroom and into what happens at the bedside is that worry about advanced cardiac life support. We're worrying about the cardiac rhythms. Do mm -hmm. I know the cardiac rhythms? I only had like a few strips in my book <laughs> and now I'm supposed to run this code. So we basically, you know, hold back or hesitate. So 
again, the, the, the focus, my big, my big soapbox when it comes to this is if we drill again and again and again, those, just those, just the first two to six minutes, we can then confidently go to advanced cardiac life support. But I often say that by then the bird's on the bottom of the cage, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, like if we don't do what we need to do between now and then, then we can give enough epi for the table to have a pulse. Uh, but we're trying to do compressions of electricity, compressions of electricity, which is the next, the next topic. And we're moving right along. So we'll head right into it. So the, so the bottom line is it's the using of the defibrillator, right? So if the Mm -hmm. national average, you're supposed to start compressions in one minute, that's generally not a problem. Someone's mashing on something. Yeah. I mean, that usually happens. Quality is questionable, but someone's trying to do it. (laughs) And and, and there's 15 nurses, but the respiratory therapist is usually on the chest and maybe on the airway, but, but it's okay. Like someone's doing it. We're all like, okay, we're good. Thank you. (laughs) But the electricity, right? So then the the, the Mm -hmm. crash card arrives and then you're supposed to be shocking within two minutes, Mm -hmm. within two minutes. The, I said this in probably every one of our, in our our interviews, but the national average across our country is 4.3 to 4.3 five minutes for rapid response teams to arrive on scene. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in those first few minutes? What are you seeing? What have you seen? So for coats that I've been in, definitely getting the crash cart and getting pads on. That's uh, That's been my number one you know, priority aside from chest compressions. We rely heavily on not just respiratory, because we don't have a lot of respiratory in the labor and delivery, but we rely on anesthesia. So whoever the anesthesia provider is, we rely on them to kind of lead the code. I don't know that that's the norm in every labor and delivery, but uh, usually they are the most experienced in these things. So uh, Pat and then running the Zoll. I think the big, the big problem with codes in labor and delivery is that if you don't if someone is having a postpartum hemorrhage and they're coding, you don't stop the bleed. You don't stop the bleed somehow. Doesn't matter if you bring them back, they're going to continue to code, right? So there's also that piece. So we rely again on the OBs as well to be kind of thinking about that piece. And in the beginning, for the nurses that I've worked with, definitely compressions are a priority and getting those pads on and getting that. I was going to say soul, but <laughs> getting that, uh, that machine to read the rhythm and see what we can do and then go to the next steps. I mean, yeah. I, Susan, it's fascinating to listen to Sybil because we've talked to five other nurses and she's the only one that's like, we get the right to compressions and we get those pads on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, Sybil, do you think that comes from uh, that sort of double duo thing where it's like you got a mom and a baby and so it's you're, you're even more like kind of in a hypervigilant alert state where you're, you know, I, I got to know this or mm-hmm. do you think because or is it the, the center that you worked at? Or, I mean, we, we haven't yeah. talked about it. Or are you just a baller? And yeah, <laughs> not me, not me personally. Like I'm talking about the team in general uh, because I think that the stakes seem... I'm not saying they are higher, but they seem to be at the time. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to like put down anybody else or anybody else's death, but when you're facing a family, you know, usually the other parents in the room, this, the, the baby is in the warmer, the stakes are high and you're like, oh crap. Like we gotta, 
like there's no choice for us we get this adrenaline rush and we're like we gotta bring this parent back no matter the cost <laughs> susan's con conversationally constipated she's going. yeah but okay so here we here we are saying civil you guys are rock stars rock stars but you know what they did they recognize the problem they call for help they began compressions with the pads on the using electricity they just did what they're supposed to do so yeah. she's just the first one who's like yeah we do the, no. we do our we do the basic life support and we're like oh <laughs> oh and you did it in the worst environment oh her and praising her but isn't that the answer that we're looking for isn't it interesting though i wonder if this because the stakes seem just that much higher it overrides the freeze i wonder well, I, I, I will i will say usually when there is a code in labor delivery everybody's going in there like it, it's not, I, I don't feel like people are used to it, used to it in the way that maybe in the ICU, you would see like codes all the time. I think in, in labor and delivery, they're just rare enough that although people have practice with them, the minute you hear that code bell, everyone's running. Literally everybody's running. Cause they're like, we're not gonna risk having, dropping the ball. Or something like that, you know. Okay, so the ICU does that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there we are just a little bit more scared. <laughs> yeah, but but guess what? Your fear has you prepared, and and so if I'm going to have a baby or be in the OR, I'm going to come wherever you are. <laughs> Keep in touch with me. I wonder if across the board it's like that though. This it's that this the discernment between the stakes are higher, like even if it's perception. And yeah, the that or like an ICU nurse who just does them all the time, right? Like mm -hmm. you're prepared either way between the L and D or the ICU, but the reasons are maybe a little different. And I see they're doing them all the time, so they just know what to do. But in Sybil's case, it's like I gotta know what to do because I got a mom and a baby and a dad. Like, right? That's a, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting the the difference there. Also, what? oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you. I was going to say that most of our patients are full code. So there's also no question about what needs to happen next versus I remember being in palliative care and hospice. It would be like, oh, who's this patient? Like, what's going on? You hear code blue in labor delivery. Mm -hmm. You're not questioning what's going to happen. <laughs> you're running, you're doing compressions, you're doing everything, everything that can be possible because this person's like 30 years old. You know what I mean? it's a little bit different well it goes back to mindset we're going like backward to mindset too and it's like it's the quiet part out loud you know that none of us really want to say but if you're working in an icu and you've seen this person they've been intubated for a month maybe they don't have a dnr you know maybe they are full code but there is a and it's not that you're you don't want to do your job or you're not going to do your job but there is a subconscious part of you that there's like this hardwired merciful wrong or right it's in there and i'm not mm -hmm. saying it makes you go slower but uh, so i don't know i, I think it's multifactorial you know yes. it, it, it it certainly does if you've seen somebody kind of suffering in a bed and languishing for a month it's not that you don't do your job as quickly but there is something nuanced about it that there's not this it's, uh, i, I want to say sense of urgency 
it's almost like, you know, I, I guess that's it. But your actions aren't different or any I just feel like slower. there's no question. Yeah, it's there, just... For, for labor and delivery, it is like the... It's almost like the fear takes you where you need to be. And uh-huh. it is it is a little bit... There is a little bit of a delay, even in med search, figuring out who this patient is and what their wishes are. And I think that that you can have the nurse, the primary nurse, who's very aware mm-hmm. that this patient is DNR, DNI. But when someone calls code in the ICU, everybody comes running. They don't know anything yeah. about this patient, yeah. right? Everybody, they're like, there's almost like an underlying question, especially like you said, if they've been in a bed for a while. And it's not necessarily like, they may not even know the patient, but they don't, they don't know their wishes. Mm-hmm. But in labor and delivery, like, most of the time, like 99.9% of the time, patients are full code. So yeah. it takes yeah, that piece out. Yeah, they're there no, to live. No hesitance. <laughs> they're there to live. They're there to live times two. Hardcore. Yes. So yes. I love this perspective because it's, it's, it's an urgency. It's an urgency for life that is not, doesn't need to be discussed. It's just there. Where Karen, to your point, you know, the ICU patient, it's almost like nurse code, right? Like sometimes we're the only ones in the room that, that understand where this patient's going Mm -hmm. and, and when and how and why it's just kind of a matter of logistics at that, you know, in, in some cases. And, and we, we as nurses have this kind of knowing of how that is going to go, whether everyone in the room gets it, understands it, feels it, who knows, that's a whole nother, whole nother plane on this. But I'll, I'll add to the ICU discussion and, and then Sybil, I'd like you to weigh in on this as well. I'm um, just to kind of change the trajectory a little bit, but it's the number of new nurses in our midst, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic and what's happening in nursing and the, and the floodgates and so forth. But, you know, the numbers I'm hearing from, from my local healthcare system here is like 80% new, whether you're ED, ICU, OB or wherever you are. I mean, we have like 80% new nurses, two years or less. Mm-hmm. So now we bring in that factor. Yeah, well, (laughs) and and so now we know, talk about fear. Mm -hmm. And then many of those nurses were trained during the pandemic and their level of clinical time was zero, next to none. Mm -hmm. So now they're coming into a patient care environment. They're two years or less. They're in the ED, ICU, they're they're everywhere. And we thank God for them, right? We have to, but, but think of them beside you in that same scenario mm-hmm. that's these are crazy times they are and, and and one of the things they're they're quoting of course and even some of the whatever thought leaders like yourself on tiktok and and, and on any social media it's it's you know we are in a crisis for a million reasons and i don't want to get off topic but it relates to my topic because patients are going to die mm-hmm. because we're not prepared because we don't have additional training and we're being trained nurses two years or less are being trained in a code situation by nurses who are at year three and have seen two codes in their life, maybe none. Mm. I did a study for my doctorate, you guys, in 2020 during the early pandemic. And 86%, it was like 54% had never seen a code, 64% had never done compressions, and 84% had never touched their emergency equipment. This was a medical surgical unit. That's crazy. And those are true numbers. Those are crazy numbers. 
Those do are crazy numbers. Tell, do not tell civilians that because they will. <laughs> <No. call> <laughs> yes. And, 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 and Sybil, that we, we can, we can talk about that for a second because Karen's point is, you know what? I mean, here I am when I came out of that research study, uh, you know, I, I asked somebody to help me with the white paper and I, I, it was like a hundred, it's a 140 page document. And, you know, what comes back was this, can you believe what would the community think? You know, healthcare people don't know how to save lives. And I was like, what are you jerk? You know, that's not what we're trying to say. I'm trying to say we, we need more training. And, but if you look at it through the other lens, it says we aren't trained <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you can't save our lives. So Karen, one of our uh, podcasters like, hello, <laughs> like, how's it going to change if we don't tell people that we're not prepared? It's, it's also a double-edged sword because you have to, I believe you, you, the public has to know part of what I do on TikTok is letting people know about things that they otherwise wouldn't know about healthcare wise or nursing wise, but there's always that group of people who will hold us to a standard that is not only unreachable these days, but offer no help or guidance when it comes to meeting this that standard or offer no support and just be mad at healthcare workers for it and blame us for it. And we've seen, you know, many instances where healthcare workers have been blamed, right? So we do, I do see that side and it, it kind of, I think it's demoralizing as a, as a nurse community to like, mm. you know, express concerns and be like, Hey, you should know about this. You should, you should want like, for example, safe patient ratios, right? Like you should want safe patient ratios for, you should know, right. You should want that. But then they turn around, you know, and people will say the nurses are not working hard enough or that. You know, they'll get stuck on like, oh, but travel nurses make so much money. I'm like, okay, well, what does that have to do with safe patient ratios? Like, even though, like, because I feel like there is a level of spite towards healthcare workers sometimes. And that's hard. That's hard to do. So, so Sybil, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call bull study, not on you, but on, on that narrative. Because again, mm-hmm. this is why we're here. That's why you're on TikTok. That's why our, the, our renegade bandits and I have have come together on this. And just we're saying, I'm I'm calling I'm calling bullshit on all of it. I'm I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, I'm what I'm saying. What you're saying. What we're saying is true. And and, and safe staffing ratio, <laughs> safe patient staffing ratios. It's just ridiculous. The fact that we know what the, my program is two to six minutes. Honestly, there's a one hour course. There's ten minute modules. Then it's one and done. Then it's hands-on, brief, repetitive practice, which, by the way, the, the resuscitation giants in the world say, here's our million-dollar program we want you to buy, an online program in your, in your home, and then an online program on the computer. And that's going to prepare you for the day you need to be in a room with your hands on the chest of a patient. And then in small print, they say, and by the way, what you should really do is do brief, hands-on, repetitive practice with your team, with your equipment in your space. Figure that mm-hmm. out. Well, that's what my business is. It's brief, right. repetitive, hands-on practice with your team in your space. So Which is I'm just saying, yeah, I mean, so, but, but you know what? We're not prepared, but I, mm-hmm. I, I can't blame us. We've been through, we've been through our education. We take our every two years. We look to our leaders and everybody else and say, what do, what do we need to be compliant on this? And they say once every two years in the land far, far away with equipment you don't use and not your team is perfect. Yeah, right. No. So we're just, yeah, we're calling, I'm calling, I'm calling it. 
I also, when there's a new new nurse every other week, yeah, every Andre. two years is going to cover this many people. <laughs> It's so interesting because from a military standpoint, you know, they don't, they don't mess around with that stuff. Like everybody, you're the secretary or the receptionist or the, you're getting code drills, you're getting practice. I mean, I, I went through so many codes in the military. I can't even count them. It was ridiculous. It was, it, it was good. I, I felt very, very competent while I was in the military that I, that I knew what to do, but it, it's because we got so much practice all the time. Mm -hmm. And in the civilian world, I mean, aside from staffing ratios and all the other issues, like bottom line is we should know how to do. All right. So, so let's, because we, we spent a lot of time on, I feel like we're complaining now. So like, Sorry. no, no, no. That's what we do. We're, we're, we're not complaining. We're talking about how unprepared we are and mm -hmm. less about the solution, which is code prep which is Susan's mm -hmm. thing. So Susan, why don't you move us forward to the next thing? But that's why we're here. It's it's talking mm -hmm. about we need more preparation and here's a solution. And also the solution to the la what is the lack of preparation? What does it look like in other areas? So you're just, you know, we're, you're just highlighting the need in a different way. Brilliant, my maestro pal. So, uh, you know, we, we, we did discuss I'm going to just wrap up the emergency equipment issue. So we, we learned that we don't have enough time with it. We need more training, but there is a genuine fear of a defibrillator period, mm -hmm. whether it's in automatic mode, whether it's in uh, mm -hmm. AED mode, turning it on and you hear that sound. As soon as there's a sound, every, <laughs> it's over, right? No sounds yeah. on that thing. Game over. <laughs> so we'll move past that because it's clear we need more time on the defibrillator. And I'm going to just say once a year in competencies where we do our Easter egg hunt, what's in the drawers. I'm just saying, I don't think that that's cool. I, th I think it's cool. Everyone know who knows where the OG is. What drawer? What drawer? Where, where are fluids? What drawer? Oh, that, but that will help. You know, when someone's dying, that will help. Anyway, moving on. The next step is rescue one, two, and three. Who are rescuer one, two, and three, and what are their duties? So in many hospitals, they have code roles. Yeah. If you worked in hospitals, they have code roles. So I've got the runner, I'm rescuer one, I'm a lead, lead, whatever, recorder, you know, all the normal, all the normal, normal. So, and, and there's a lot of research that show how, how well those roles work. Primarily the research proves that it keeps attempts to keep the number of respondents down, right? So that millions of people, like you described, if it's a code in the OR, like boom, everyone's coming. Mm -hmm. And that happens on the floor too. You know, it's like too many cooks in the kitchen. Quite often we can't hear, it's just adds to the chaos. Who's actually looking at which monitor are we using the monitor here, who cares? So who are rescuer one, two, and three? According to me, rescuer one is if you find the person you're up, you're number one. Mm -hmm. Rescuer two, you're the closest person to rescuer one you hear, Job description, be damned. You hear, you're that close. Boom, you're there. Number one job is help number one with their compressions. Are they good enough? You become the CPR coach. This is a role that came out in 2020 by the American Heart Association. Dr. Susan Davis came up with it longer than, earlier than that. We're not going to say that here, but we will anyway, years before. So your job is to make sure those compressions are jam up good because quite often it's over the rail, there's pillows in the way, there's and we're doing like, you know, what we think we're doing good, but honestly, bad compressions are almost the same as none, truly. 
So that's rescuers two, two's job. And if the compressions are jam up and on fire, fine. Then they room prep, meaning get all the junk out of the way, bed, bed down, away from, there's a million things they can do. Three is the closest one of the crash cart. Whomever that is, again, job description be darned, and down it comes. And then together they put on the pads, backboard, back pads. So it's the basic life support. They Those three roles come before code roles. So the entire premise behind my program is basic, recognize the problem, call for help, begin compressions, use electricity. And that's done by rescuer one, two, and three, regardless of code roles. What say you, Sybil? What do those three roles mean to you? Does it sound like something you see? Does it sound like something you would agree should be drilled? Oh, for sure. I, I agree that it, it should be uh, better defined, like you are right now, defining it to people, because I think that's where I'm part of my French. Everything goes to shit. <laughs> when we you have. Class. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> because. You know, you were very impressed when I said that we would get there and put on the pads and like one person would be, you know, doing the compressions, which is great. But that's where everything falls apart if you don't have clear roles. And, you know, not the roles that they're talking about, which is like documenter. I feel like that's almost like secondary to those like immediate needs. So, yeah, I totally think that that is incredible to define and to like drill into people's heads that like if you found the patient also it kind of it kind of helps keep people on track because i have gone to codes where you arrive and the primary nurse is somewhere <laughs> so then you're you know trying to not trying to lead but trying to like have this code happen especially uh, i remember i was charge nurse of that particular time and I was like I don't know like I know the basics of this patient but like not very much you know so it's good it's definitely good yeah well and, and thank you because the answer is when I'm and I'm challenged when I come into new environments especially especially like you're, you you know you worked in those top top three type you know type of environments where they have a lot of training you have students it, it, there's lots going on in, a, in an environment like that but generally those type of environments are very hung on their code roles and, mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to say it, and, and I, I love the code rules, but when I'm asked, they're like, well, we already have a program. And I said, well, listen, mine comes before your program. Like they mm -hmm. say, well, who's restaurant one, two, and three? I said, everybody. <laughs> yeah. It can be we're, anyone. We're waiting everybody. for yeah. everybody. Everybody. <laughs> everybody is one, two, and three. If you have a basic life support card, you are rescuer one, two, and three. And frankly, we didn't, I didn't get on my crazy horse about pushing the analyze function on the defibrillator, but truly that's a basic life support skill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in hospital, there's policies on who will and who will, or, or maybe the policy doesn't even exist. But I, that's one of my first questions when I asked about their adult cardiac arrest policy, do you have it? Can they push the analyze function? Well, that's the standard of care. Mm -hmm. Who can, who can push this, the, the, the button in the airport or in the mall with an AED? Anyone. Anyone. Yeah, the nurses are supposed to recognize the problem, call for help, get the pads on, and wait. Wait. <laughs> I think that that issue is really good to address because it involves providers. So I think when a code happens, 
depending on who which provider you have you can have a provider who wants to do everything manually as well and that is particularly difficult because not only does he or she have to communicate that they want to do like you know they, they want to basically lead the code step by step which is possible like and can be done but it lengthens the code and it like you know it makes it makes it more of a cluster because you are not following standardized you know you're just kind of waiting to hear the next set of instructions instead of going instinctively and like pressing that analyze button you know yes yes and, and, and Sybil I even teach spreadsheets providers no offense providers because we, we no. um they're generally the the worst honestly <laughs> when it comes to all of the above I mean their hearts are in the right place but they too don't practice very often so it, the nurses are generally running the code so I actually teach no harm, no foul, just push the button, push the analyze function. Um, you know, I, and if there's a physician in there that, or provider that's like, you're, you're, you're again, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, like, okay, oops, clear. Because, <laughs> right. you know, it, it, it knows you don't have to be a rhythms expert. The mm -hmm. machines know. And, and to me, that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest hangups in nursing. They're scared to death that they're going to get that rhythm wrong or they don't know what the rhythm is. So they're not going to mess with it, but you don't have to know, just push the button. Mm -hmm. So, so rest for one, two, and three. L listen, so let's, let's paint the whole picture as we've wrapped it up. We, we kind of start about your mindset. I think as a community, we have to, we have to understand our mindset about code blue. And in general, people love it or hate it. And most of us hate it. And, it, and, 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 and those who hate it, they, they then end up fearing it. And that mm -hmm. is a, a deadly fear, if you will, because they take that fear home with them. Good code, bad code. Did I do enough? Did I not do enough? Should I know more? I shouldn't know more. Maybe it's a 40-year career nurse, but it's been in one or two. She's avoided them every step of the way. So she's just as fearful because she's embarrassed that she's not done it and, 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 and doesn't think that she can. So um, that's the upstream. Then we have the deterioration piece. It's I, I'm over the computers and how much we have time. We have to, the, the deterioration scores, early warning systems are only as good as it timely information we input in them. So we created a, a cross-room assessment, green, yellow, red, something we're talking about. Who's sick? Who's not sick? Then there's the equipment. We're not handling it enough. Analyze function. Honestly, on the front of every defibrillator, regardless of brand, it literally has step one, turn it on. Step two, analyze. Step three, push the damn glowing red button if it tells you to do so. Clear first, mm -hmm. ideally. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then rest your one, two, and three. Who's up? So if we do those steps, which by the way, take about a minute and a half to two minutes when you put it together, this is all I'm asking for is two minutes. When that happens, critical care arrives, compressions are in place, pads are on. They've probably shocked once or twice before they've gotten there. There's time for a quick S bar. Where is that nurse? And who cares who it is? Cause I just like, like what's going on? Are, are they a co are they full code? <laughs> I mean, if we we do have to throw them in their sidebar every now and again. That is, but they're, that is they're literally the show should be the show should be going, and then on the next round, every two minutes, right on the next round, critical care can take over, and off we go. I mean, isn't mm -hmm. that something just sounds soothing to you? Like developing that instinct, this course helps with, which developing that instinct is what takes years to happen. So why not? like hasten it a little bit like hey this is what your instinct should tell you to do one two three and it's the same guy that's at the crosswalk that tells you to wait i mean yes. on the zoles wait 
wait. It's the same guy that's in the analyze function. Like if you listen to him to tell you when to cross the street, you can certainly listen to, to him tell you to shock somebody. Analyze mm-hmm. it. Shock. <laughs> and it's the same guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought I'd point that out. Big part, yeah. And a big part of the hesitance is that people just don't know. Like I said, people don't know what the first thing to do is, right? You know, they don't know, like, how do I even start this? And I think that we focus so much on epi, like, you know, dosages and Mm -hmm. like reading this and that and like the rhythms and stuff that like, it's very overwhelming when you stumble upon a code, you're like, I have to remember all that that I took a year and a half ago for this situation right now, if... I would have known as a new grad, no, you actually only have to remember this, this, and that right now. The rest will come or people will help you. That mm-hmm. would have been helpful for me. Yeah. Um, well said. Just... <laughs> no, that that is, you just finished yeah. this off perfectly. Like, if that's the message, four things. Check for responsiveness. Call for help. Start compressions use electricity like that's it that's all that epi acls mumbo jumbo let somebody else do that or somebody's used to it yeah perfect. well the thing is it, it is important but it's it's it comes after yeah so you're just yeah. like right now i just need to focus on this wait yeah, yeah. on the on Don't the, back wait. the crosswalk yeah <laughs> you, you know it's simple to, to that to that point you know i look at adult COBU policies in hospitals all over the place. And when you read their policy, almost every policy begins with the ACLS. Uh-oh. And then I, I have to point out and I'm saying, yeah, they do because they, they want to make sure that the, the this nurse does this and then the, there's and then it goes right to the drugs and the algorithms. I'm like, okay, sir, how about mm-hmm. we just make sure that we, can we just add this language and train this language? So, so what we're talking about here and what you just wrapped up so brilliantly is it really takes a community. It takes an environment to save a life. It takes us all mm-hmm. thinking that, so I, I call I call it my, ba- I, sometimes I call, I call all kinds of things, but it's a basic life support rapid response team, which is everybody other than the critical care team. We are the basic life support rapid response team. We're there and this is our duty. In fact, it is our duty to respond and do those first few things and do them like soldiers automatically mm-hmm. And beautifully, and frankly, all the research in the whole wide world proves that those are the only things that actually save the life. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm really curious about the idea of like, because if it's those four things, why are we not really prepping and teaching our 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 nurse our nursing students? Sorry, like, why are we not getting? Well, that's them why we're the here. Like right away, they already know. And to Sybil's point. Gosh, like what a relief if I just knew those four things, I could totally do this. I mean, that's like brilliant, right? Like it makes it so simple. It's right back to the artistry if, and sense. Be- only we could find somebody who would has a program to really drive this <laughs> basic four things home. <laughs> I honestly think that with nursing school, to answer your questions, I think nursing school loves complexity. Loves complexity. Like they they love taking a simple concept and creating like so much hardship around it. <laughs> yeah, it's check for responsiveness, um, develop a care plan. Yeah, it's like make sure you documented education while you're documenting a code, you know, like, who, you know, it, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but 
I think that's where the disconnect is because I, I think we forget the very basics, which happens in a lot of in a lot of disciplines, actually, where you forget the very, very basic stuff. And then risk you, for dying. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you are stuck with all this knowledge of the more complicated things. Yeah. Um, this is this is a kind of sense that I get when I talk to nursing students or just like, especially when they're answering questions for the NCLEX they're like, well, what about this? And I'm just like, you're thinking complex because that's what they made you study. They made you study like every nerve in the brain. But this question is about false. <laughs> <Yeah, it's not. laughs> like, it's like so simple, but it's, it's true. That's why like, the NCLEX, it's the NCLEX. Like, you know, all the, you know, all the cranial nerves and you can recite them to me. And that's great. But this question is about false. And you forgot to put the bed alarm on the patient. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know? It's kind of like that phenomenon. Well, and, and to wrap this up, it's totally, you you just, that's that's what happens everywhere. So it starts in yeah. nursing school and then it, it's, it only progresses once you get into um, your clinical setting because every healthcare uh, profession, you were trained to, to, to think of the worst, the worst, the highest, the worst, mm -hmm. the most complex. And, and we do. And that's where our brain goes. When in all actuality, I think the best patient care, the best relationships everything is built on our core basics which are mm -hmm. if we if, if, if we again my, my core statement is we cannot continue to teach and preach advanced measures when we have not mastered the basics so yeah amen Sybil you're the bomb triple thank you thank so, you for your perspective you. yeah well, tell everybody uh, where they can go watch your fabulousness on TikTok how do they <laughs> find you places so I'm on Instagram TikTok and now recently YouTube I just YouTube shorts for now. And I am nurse.sybil, S-I-B-Y-L, on all of those. So you can find go me. Go follow her. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> She's there hilarious. I mean, I think people will go on there and see some of your TikToks and be, that was the same girl. I mean, she did. <laughs> She's, She's got some depth. Let's just say that. It's also funny. I like, keep it very yeah, casual been, on yeah, TikTok. Yeah, but it's creative. It's hilarious. Very entertaining. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Sybil. This was a, a wonderful and rich addition to this series. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you, guys. Nailed it. Renegades.